Listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast. Making a film about cycling ought to be easy. After all, the material is all right there, waiting to be captured by the camera. Dramatic backdrops, beautiful scenery, speed and danger, tales of triumph and disaster all served up daily for three weeks. But it's often more difficult than that. The visceral excitement is obvious, but as we reflected after watching the Netflix series Unchained, the complexity and nuance of the sport and its tactics can be harder to convey. But what about making a film as the Tour de France rides through a global pandemic? Cycling is a sport of heartbreak. Even if you're a team that wins a lot, you still lose more. This is a sport about perseverance no matter what. We are the longest running professional cycling team the United States has ever had. It doesn't matter how much money a team has any one year, it could all go away. Can this team win the Tour de France? This episode of Kilometer Zero is called Shooting the Tour. It's about the making of a film called Enter the Slipstream, a 90-minute documentary following EF Pro Cycling during the 2020 Tour de France. And it gets its US streaming debut on Saturday, July the 1st, to coincide with the start of this year's race. Oh, this is a big, big crash this time. You know, going into the race, that something unwanted will happen. Good to get this day behind us. So many guys are going down, it was terrible. Push, 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 push. Come on, back to him, come on! This is showdown day. El tiempo en el ciclismo vale oro, y el tiempo en la vida también. We need every second, we need every second. If you get in a break, go to the line. We're going to hear from three of the filmmakers behind Enter the Slipstream, director Ted Youngs, producer Matt Rogers, and story producer Alexis Steinman. Ted had shot footage of the 2016 Tour de France for a project that didn't go anywhere, but when he and Matt, who's a big cycling fan, got the chance to go to an EF Pro Cycling training camp, it reignited the desire to make a film about the Tour. So they went to the Tour Colombia at the start of 2020, where EF won the team time trial, Danny Martinez won a stage, and Sergio Iguita took the overall title. And then, the following month, everything stopped. The cycling season was postponed, and the Tour didn't get underway until late August, by which time there were restrictions on international travel, which meant they had to assemble a crew of French-based filmmakers. And that's how Alexis, who lives in France, got involved. I started by asking her what sort of story they hoped to tell, and it turned out to be a story of perseverance and survival, not just for the film, but for the riders and the team, which echoed the experience we'd faced as we went through the depth of the pandemic. The intention of the film before, I think when you make a documentary, it's sort of about what you're going to film and what the story that you're going to capture. You can have your ideas, you can have your themes. We had so many discussions about all the different, um, the interesting themes in cycling, like the suffering that these, in, the individual versus collective, et cetera. But then you go out and actually make the film and the story unfolds as it does. And we really had these constraints with Sam was embedded with the team, but like the team was wearing masks the whole time. You're trying to tell this very intimate story. Riders are covered the whole, all of your characters and your main characters are essentially, you're only seeing their eyes. 
And you're also one of the challenges too is right the excitement of the race, all the noises that are happening during the race, and the fans. As you recall, this was a year where there weren't really that many fans. We were trying to capture the story as it happened as well as we could, but also being aware that we weren't really sure what the story was going to be until we were done shooting and until things had had been evolving. But it was really important for us to be making a film that was a story that was not just for people who are super obsessed with cycling and know all the rules. We really wanted to capture something that was inspirational. And I think living through COVID, COVID was so much about suffering and triumphing against all odds. And I think there was a part of us that once we recognize these parallels between cycling and between surviving a pandemic, we definitely honed in on that for sure. Ted Young's, I was the director of Enter the Slipstream. Making a documentary is fundamentally a leap of faith. Like you can start with a storyline, but the things that are happening day to day are going to define what the story becomes. And we had some experiences that were stunning in terms of how they impacted on the story we told. I mean, Dan- Danny wins a stage, and I guess I'm spoil- giving spoilers, but um, and and Sergio gets in a crash and and is and is pulled out of the race. And the and the drama of those events is just. Um, amazing in itself. And then we also got lucky in other moments with just where people were in that space and the honesty and vulnerability that provided. I mean, midway through the race, and we and we see this in the, both in the beginning opening footage and then um, near the end, I mean, Jonathan Vodders comes and talks to us very earnestly about um, the financial concerns of the team and the fact that it is really close to bankruptcy. And that that came as I got an email while uh, Matt, Alexis, and I were walking down the street at an end of a shoot day that said, Ted, I think you might want the full story of what's going on behind the scenes. If we're making an honest story about this, then we should be honest. And we're like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. The next day we were you know, on a Zoom call with him, with he working with Sam, shooting and basically breaking down in tears about um, about the position of the team as we were 20 miles away in an entirely different room trying to elicit information from him, be emotionally connected, and also kind of just everybody going, oh my God, maybe maybe we just broke the back of this thing and we have a, and we have a through line that pulls everything together. For this team, this tour is you know, a fight to survive. And I'm probably the only person that knows that. How long does the team have to find a sponsor? We got a couple weeks. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe three weeks at, at the maximum. This whole tour, I, I don't know, I've been, I've been kind of on and off the race, but the entire time fighting to pull the finances together and and having to put on an absolutely brave face. As soon as I start to fall apart, no problem. the performance of the whole team falls apart because everyone starts to realize that, you know, that they're walking on quicksand. This is Ted again. I'm much happier that they've survived. I think they also become a sort of like North Star for everyone else who survived that period of time. That in many ways is the power of, of their survival as this sort of metaphor for everyone who lived through 2020. You know, as American living in France, everyone always critiques how American films have happy endings and French films don't. So I think it would have just been a different type of, type of film. I think one of the things we learned about following EF is like, we really enjoyed this underdog story and that felt even more pivotal, the David versus Goliath. 
during COVID as well. Also in the current society we live in this sort of, you know, we're living in this world where the richer are getting richer, the poorer are getting poorer. There was something like for us, we were really passionate about that. We were rooting for the team. And a lot of the people who have been to our screenings have said the same thing. And that's something we feel really proud about. While COVID and the team's precarious existence gave a dramatic backdrop to this story, the film nevertheless needed a moment of triumph, and that came at the end of stage 13, to pad a payroll, when Danny Martinez, outnumbered by Bora Hansgrohe's Leonard Kemner and Max Shackman, pulled off a stage win. We were definitely overjoyed. We were in the Massif Central watching that. You know, we were not on the course that day. We'd been doing B-roll. I remember our the cameraman... Uh, Jean-Fred that we were, were working with was taking a nap on the couch as the stage was progressing. <laughs> and we walked into the room and it was like 45 minutes from the end. And Danny was in that breakaway with two Boro riders. And we were just all watching it transfixed. And then, you know, the volume in the room started to raise and Jean-Fred definitely woke up. I mean, there are scenes in the film of people on the team sort of screaming and hugging each other. And we were basically doing the same thing uh, while watching TV. Uh, with that also was a moment that it wouldn't have been the same film without. And to that point I made earlier, like the, the documentary filmmaking is about perseverance and it's also a little bit about luck. We certainly were very fortunate with this film. In going through the footage is when we were identifying our characters too, because when we started the filming process, I mean, we knew Rigo, obviously. He is a charismatic fellow. We knew he'd be one of them, but we weren't really sure who the others would be, which riders would open up to us. And I think organically, you know, the story of TJ being the veteran and Nielsen Palace being the, the newcomer, like that was a really, that was something that fell into our lap. And they were also too really willing to share with us as well. I mean, Ted and I had to conduct Zoom interviews with the riders on their west rest days from a screen. So like there was no way to really, we were connecting with these riders like that. And already I think they were living this very weird tour. I mean, TJ speaks about how he was so used to having all these fans and all this excitement. Instead, it was just this kind of empty cave. So I think they were almost, yeah, they were slightly excited to talk to us on Zoom, but there was this distance created and it was very hard. And I think we were lucky with Sam. Sam really got along well with the riders. I mean, Sam instantly bonded with everyone and that really helped, you know, Ted and I, Matt as well, to be able to tell the story that we did. But I think it was also honing in on the characters so that we could tell the story it was very important to have Charlie too, because the role of the director sportive mm -hmm. is also really fascinating in his own story of being the eternal domestique as well. Uh, also really, really helped feed and, and round out our story. Well, we started out imagining that we would follow the EF team through the course of the 2020 professional season. And I remember there was a evening when Matt and I were talking about um, Harry Roubaix on on a call, trying to figure out the logistics of whether we'd go over what it would mean, how the pandemic would uh, have an impact on it. And we were, you know, I'm not sure that we were arguing, but we were heated in the in the discussion. And I kept sort of toggling over to news news channels and being like, oh, Tom, Tom Hanks has COVID, you know, and then 15 minutes later, it's like, oh, the borders are closed. Well, I guess we won't uh, I guess we won't be traveling at this point in time. Making a film about the tour is challenging enough, but the COVID pandemic made it even harder. Cinematographer Samantha Andre was embedded with the team, and the film was going to stand or fall based on her ability to capture the moments of drama, humour and pathos. And to do that, she was going to have to get the riders and staff to trust her. The rest of the team could only wait and see what material came back. 
International travel was all but suspended, but Ted and Matt were able to find creative ways to get into France. I ended up being able to travel in because my wife's French and I was able to travel over with her on her passport. And it was absolutely a super surreal time. Like we, I remember we landed in Paris, the wheels went down, I looked at my phone and 45 minutes later I'd managed to get into the center of Paris and like just, like the there was no, no one was there so this everything moved extremely fast um the support that we'd had from that the team by that point in time was wavering because they didn't understand how many people they could have in what was called their bubble um, of riders and so it was unclear if we were going to have someone who would be able to film by extension we were trying to scramble and find a film crew to support the project and and that was you know created its own its own very real struggles. I'm Matt Rogers. I was the producer of Enter the Slipstream. I'm in the U.S. I don't have any connection to France, but as we were um, trying to figure out how to get the whole team together in France, obviously we had the French production team there, how to get me over there. I noticed that there were three exceptions to the embargo of not allowing anyone to, to come in. And one was a ship captain. I wasn't that. And one was a, a train engineer. Obviously, I wasn't that. The third one was an international courier. That's an internationally defined term by the by the UN. So I looked that up and uh, Gorilla Group, the French production company that we worked with, and I created a, a, an official international courier contract, which I carried with me wherever I was. What I brought was uh, more drives. I had to bring, uh, we, we needed way more storage capacity than, than we intended. And when I, when I landed actually uh, at the customs, the guy was like, he's like, what are you bringing in? And I said, I'm bringing uh, hard drives for a film shoot. And he goes like, have you ever heard of the internet? <laughs> <laughs> it is a massive amount of data. It probably would have taken months to actually transfer over the internet. Somehow, somehow we made it in. My being the only um, kind of cycling fan and ha having the, these perspectives of uh, Alexis being a, being a writer and Ted being an, a, a, from another sport and having Samantha, who is a very... Um, well, she's a pretty sporty, uh, active, active person, but uh, from a from an international perspective and her ability to be there with the team and having us be on the outside, it, it made it, it it really made the film having having Samantha be that intimate uh, w with the team that whole time because and and her personality and her ability to to to, to make friends with the team uh, re really was was crucial to giving that feel of being there with the team. I think these personalities that the, on t the, the EF team, Charlie is an especially thoughtful uh, writer. Um, I think Rigo, he's one of a kind in, in the whole Peloton. And then TJ with his uh, his veteran nature and is also a very su a super thoughtful guy and just invited us into his home in uh, California, introduced us to his whole family. And I, I don't know that we could have done this without this kind of magic mix of, uh, of people. Kind of like riding the lightning a little bit. We, you know, we we didn't know what was going to happen with the story. EF, while they're a respected team, they were not the favorites in that year's Tour de France. A big issue was that you know we were thinking that Danny Danny Martinez, because he had just won the Dauphiné that year and he was really strong, but he had the crash on the second stage, uh, which completely destroyed his chances of of uh, of being a winner uh, that year. So. There was a lot of uh, anxiety about how, how the team was going to do going forward, where they were going to place. And if there wasn't going to be that level of success with their with their, you know, one of their strongest riders being being involved or definitely fighting for a podium finish. Like what what would our our story be? And I think an another storytelling thing, I think, like from from the cycling person's perspective is 
how much do I know and, and understand about cycling that, that I assume people know about cycling um, versus the layperson coming coming at the sport from the outside? Handling that that tension of over-explaining or under-explaining uh, what's going on, because we didn't want this to be just just for cycling fans. And I think, or I hope that cycling fans do, do enjoy it. We wanted to bring in a, a larger audience as well. I mean, when I started working on this, I had a, a notepad with sticky notes in it. And, and the first thing it just said was vocabulary lessons. And I started being like peloton, breakaway, domestique, slipstream. I was able to express my relative ignorance and find out which of those terms mattered and, and which or which were like, where could we bring along a total neophyte and have them feel the passion and intensity of the sport without overwhelming them with like nerding out about how many watts of power you can produce um, on a given grade for a period of time. You know, definitely the balance we tried to strike was something that was like passionate and, and amazing and really cool for someone who loves cycling and also an introduction into the sport that you could take your wife, grandmother, child, niece, best friend to. A spoiler alert here because I'm going to talk about a moment in the film that really hit me in the pit of my stomach. It shows TJ Van Garderen, by now a veteran rider but once thought of as a potential tour winner in his hotel room. The curtains are drawn so it's quite dark and TJ is on a Skype call with his daughter. They're playing a game of chess, and then this. Mama doesn't even want to watch the race anymore because they never show you because they're so far in the back. Yeah. TJ holds his face. The words clearly register. This is Ted Young's again. We had a lot of debates around that particular scene. I mean, I think we recognized the truth of the voice of a child that we were able to share that is um, a harsh a truth that you wouldn't be as honest if you were an adult um and and we do we keep, take it out do we keep it in and and in the end we felt like it belonged there there's also another part of the comment i mean she's basically describing rylan's describing that her mom stopped watching because he's so far in the back and he's not on tv anymore like he's 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 part of it but he's not out at the front and i think just encapsulated how much sacrifice as a rider you need to make to be part of it and and it's also worth mentioning that that year i think they by the time tj had that call he'd probably been separated from his kids for two months and been in a bubble just of a series of riders there's no other sport and there are very few professions where where you're working in that kind of duress um and so i think for us it really yeah and as you mentioned ex expressed the just crystallization of of all the forms of sacrifice that, that are associated with really trying to perform at a very high level in this sport. This is where I think the challenge of a documentary filmmaker is because we really grew to love TJ during the filmmaking process. And when we watched that scene, I mean, the line encapsulates everything. And then also we thought, oh, God, we don't want to like be mean to TJ here. Like The last thing we want is this is a rider who is sort of coming to this neck, the end of his cycling career. And we, we, we could because TJ was so thoughtful and so sharing, we could tell that he was going to always be in cycling, you know. We didn't know at the time that he was going to come and continue and be a sporting director for EF, but we knew that he had a future for him. But I think this was where the moment where and we had so many conversations about whether to keep the line in or change it, because we didn't 
we didn't want to hurt his feelings, if that makes sense, even though it was it is, I think, one of the most honest moments of the film. And the fact that you recognized it, that's why we kept it in, because it felt to us that it was this simple moment that captured so much of the suffering and the sacrifices they make. And I think, again, thanks to Sam, who really the way that she shot that shot, I mean, I think, too, she did it in a really beautiful way with like the dim lights of the hotel, the reflection of his face and the TV screen so that you could see him reacting to his daughter saying that line that all really added to it so that it was cinematic and really powerful and poignant. And it didn't feel exploitive. The Cycling Podcast played a small role in the creation of the film too. I remember midway through the 2020 race, the night Sam Bennett had won in Ile de Ré, Richard Moore, Francois Tomaso and I met Ted, Matt and Alexis for dinner in La Rochelle. The strain of the uncertainty of trying to make a film during the pandemic-affected tour was apparent. But that dinner led to Richard and Francois featuring in the film. Clearly, as Richard once joked, I have a face for podcasting and a voice for silent films. The tour actually reshaped the geography of France. It was a way of joining up the north with the south and the coast with the mountains. The great star of the Tour de France is France. Most of the excitement of watching the tour is, uh, is, is waiting for it to happen. Yeah, and then we subsequently, right before the beginning of the tour, um, Sam and I went up and interviewed um, Richard at his home outside of Amiens, which um, for people who like to cycle does appear to be amazing cycling country. It appears like every road is runs along the top of a ridgeline and a hill and just with expansive views out into, into fields and forests. And so he was very warm and brought us into his home. I mean, he was literally just... I, I mean, I think they were, you know, halfway moved in. I don't, I forget if they'd been there a month or so and we sat and he, he, the vocabulary lessons that I'd been putting on sticky notes, he, he, you know, spoke to us in complete and full paragraphs with um, just a tremendous fluency in the sport that I still, I mean, I, I watched the film and I listened to him talk. I feel happiness, such happiness that he was engaged and almost envy at the, how articulate he was as a person. It made a huge difference in the film. And then subsequently, uh, Francois met with us in Marseille and we we spent a few hours working with him, filling in. And we actually did those shoots with um, Francois in 2021, filling in sort of the empty places where there were things that we wanted to articulate whether it was about the publicity caravan or about um or about the the role of sponsorship in the sport ef pro cycling is an american team of course but the three big stars rigoberto uran who is coming back from that terrible crash danny martinez and sergio Iguita, are all spanish-speaking colombians which added another layer of complexity for the filmmakers our first challenge with them is was our relatively unstudied capacity with spanish and so there was a lot of stuff we captured in the first cut where it was like, well, let's send this out to the translator and establish if we have something here. And so intellectually for us, there was a hole there like, did we get anything from these guys? And then as we did get things translated and they started to trickle in, we we could feel the way the characters were very much working there. I think they were also in a position because there was so little media access this year. And TJ does talk about what a strange year it is in terms of all the obligations that aren't there, that there was um, there was more of a looseness and an openness to describe things to us because we were they weren't having to repeat the same stories 12 times in a given day after having ridden 100 miles. We were only able to talk to them once a week on their rest day. 
And the rest of the time, it was Samantha every day, every hour. With And luckily, her French was native and her Spanish was, was very good. And so she was able to use that language to create a bond. I mean, she's still in touch with uh, the writers as well. She does. She shoots uh, uh, cycling things still. Her ability to develop that relationship and to, to develop like genuine friendships in this insane bubble made it to where, you know, it, it, would, it, it was much more intimate than if than if uh, Ted and Alexis and I had been able to be in that room oh. every day uh, interviewing everybody. We would have had much different questions. It would have been a much different situation. And so so the ability for Samantha to get those conversations out in, in their native language was 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 actually was really big. Nilsson Paulus is refusing to let this go as he now tries to chase round. Well, they're going so quick uphill, they're having to squeal on the brakes through the right-hander. Come on, come on! The fucking Tour de France, come on! Is it the 17th? 18th? 19th? Of course, the 2020 Tour de France had one of the most dramatic endings of all time. Today, Pogacar turned the tables on Primoz Roglic in the final time trial at La Planche de Belfi on that last Saturday. And yet this storyline is almost absent from the film, and I think it's all the more powerful for that. It reinforces the point that for every rider, every team, the Tour de France is a self-contained struggle. We looked at that some and just realized we didn't have anything to touch it with that it, it just took us away from the importance of the team. And I think it's again back in this like COVID notion that it's persevering is like the first part of winning. And that year persevering was absolutely a win. It was important to have that ending those last few days where those like they've got nothing to fight for anymore. They're just trying to get to Paris. And I think it was important to show that. That's what makes cycling also really an interesting sport is we're so used to kind of having a fixed time, a fixed match. There's a winner and a loser and it's very black and white. And I think to sort of say, wow, you still have to continue to wake up and cycle for six hours a day and slog through these mountains, even though there's no way you're going to win. There's no way the team is going to win. There's no way your riders. It speaks to what Ted said about perseverance. And that's what makes the sport incredibly beautiful and tragic at the same time. It's taken almost three years to finish the film, and I think the distance between the pandemic and now heightens the sense of what a strange world it was we were living through. That Tour de France looks almost unique, not just because of the absence of the crowds, but because everyone's wearing masks. And I think that sense of tension comes across in the film. Everyone's a little bit uncertain. Might the Tour even make Paris? Will today be the last day for the entire race? We really didn't know at the time. And in the end, I think the film is a vivid reminder of just what a strange time that was. I don't want to say it was metaphorical necessarily. This is Matt again. It was another thing. It was another uh, a, a huge uh, impediment to this perseverance that we had, that we all had to, that we all had to face. And it and it and it provides like a touch point for um, the audience to reflect on and to to have in common with the team. Like we all had to persevere. We all had to get through that. And so. With the with the, the the length of time it took to kind of get through the story, I'm I'm really glad that we were able to um, reflect on that and 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 put that weave that element in uh, in in a way that I think like added to the story rather than um, either either ignoring it 
or just making it all about COVID. I think you know, it was, it, we, we, I hope we were able to turn it into a touch point for, for the, general, the general audience, people who are not cycling 150 miles a day. This is Ted Young's. We worked with a, pair, a young pair of composers out of LA called Phileas Blue, and it was their first feature film they'd worked on. They just left, I think they were both working, or at least one of them was working with Hans Zimmer's um, studio in LA. And we basically gave them two sort of um, sonic cues to work with. One was Kraftwerk's um, Tour de France album, which is obviously sort of seminal electronica and and referenced the tour itself. And then the other was a Renaissance piece by Dufresne called um, O Saint Sebastian. And so again, we're back in our patron saint moment and they really kind of ran with these two you know one is a piece of renaissance vocals the other is very you know electronic driven and they really ran with those two themes and and built a whole sonic landscape around that and i think they had sort of a tremendous time doing it as well because they'd just come out of the strictures of a very like studio driven production system and they had a great time and were extremely happy with um, the kinds of ways they brought stories to life in each individual moment. The, all the electronic tones, our sound person, Thomas Renault, is also a, a, an artist and kind of a, a sound kind of a genius. He recorded a ton of stuff while we were out at the Tour de France, you know, the crowd or the the bikes going by or the cars or the all the cacophony of the publicity caravan so we had an extensive sound file of just like being at the uh, at the tour and what the guy what Uriel and Alex did was to take those tones and they created all the synthesizer hits all the synthesizer tones out of stuff that we recorded out on the field i didn't know you could do that honestly i i didn't realize that that was a possibility and so the fact that they you know the the very um essence of the music is the you know, the actual sounds uh, of the tour itself is kind of kind of uh, was was kind of mind-blowing to me enter the slipstream gets its streaming debut in the u.s on saturday july the 1st on peacock which is nbc sports streaming service a uk distribution deal is in the pipeline too and as soon as we can share details of that we will the film was made by Neutral Service Production, and my thanks go to Ted, Matt and Alexis for sharing their thoughts on the process. Kilometre Zero at the 2023 Tour de France is for Friends of the Cycling Podcast subscribers. To sign up, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you can add your subscription feed to your favourite podcast player in a matter of simple clicks. Your support helps to keep the regular show free to air for everyone to enjoy and the next episode of kilometer zero will go out on sunday morning in it laura messica meets basque cyclist yoseba beloki When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.